So first we take the date and then the apple. Why? Because the date is one of the fruits that the land of Israel is dignified with, it's praised with. What happens if I like an apple more than a date? What happens then? You still take the date. So then it's up to me. I could choose whichever one I want. If I like an apple first, I can make a blessing either one. If I like the apostle and more, I can make that first if I choose to. Okay. Now, if I have an apple and orange, and I want to eat both, what do I do then? Which do I make the blessing on? No. The one I like better. But apple and orange, neither is miserable. That's right. Neither are miserable. That's right. No, the orange is not, no. Even though you have a lot of Jap uh, orange juice. But it's not... It's not native to yeah, but it's Yeah, but it's not... It's not what Israel is praised with. Okay, then there are some more details. Let's say the one you love, the one you appreciate is, is cut. It's not complete. And you have another fruit which you don't like so much, but it's complete. So what do you do then? So you have to make a blessing on the complete fruit, on the complete one. Really? Right, on the complete one. But if the one that's not incomplete is from the seven species, then you make the one of the seven species, even though the apple is complete. If I have a half a date versus... That's right. That's right. So if you want to eat all of them, then you would have, have to alter all the calculations. If you have something which grows from a tree versus something grown from the ground, what do you do then? First boy of Pliho 8 or first boy of Pliho Adamo? First boy of Pliho 8. First you say the blessing on the tree, on the f fruits of the tree, and then on the potatoes, things which grow from the ground. Do you mean a root vegetable as opposed to a fruit? That's right. Okay. So now what happens if I have the seven species and I, I like all of them equally? Because in the seven species, if I like one more than the other, I would take the one I like. But if I like all of them equally, which one do I take first? What's the order? So we follow the order of the Pusik. And the order of the Pusik is, it says wheat, barley, grape, fig, pomegranate, olive, and dates. Okay, wheat, barley, grape, fig, pomegranate, what's next? Olive and dates. Olives are a fruit. They come from a tree. Olive tree. Olives are a fruit. It's a tree. It's a tree. One 
second, one second. I made a mistake in this. Uh, there's a mistake in the order. And we have to redo this. There's a mistake in the order. What I was reading to you was the order of the fruits as they're mentioned in the Torah. However, when the Torah discusses the order, the Torah inserts the word Eretz. Eretz means the ground. You have Eretz and Shamayim. Eretz is the ground. So when the Torah discusses the order, the Torah says Eretz, and it says wheat, barley, uh, grape, fig, pomegranate. Then the Torah says a second time, Eretz, of olive and dates. Okay, now this teaches us that the fruits closer to the word Eretz goes before, even the second time it said Eretz. So for practical purposes, the order would be first wheat, then olive, then barley, dates, then, then grape, fig, and pomegranates. This would be the actual order. Okay, again, the actual order is wheat, olive, barley, date, grape, fig, the pomegranate. That's right. Why do they separate the, the wheat and the barley? Wouldn't they both be ground? <laughs> right, but they're both from the ground, right. But the Torah inserts the word Eretz a second time, telling you that anything closer to the Eretz, to the word Eretz, which is ground, go, uh, has precedence. So the first Eretz, it says Chita, the second Eretz is Zeshemen. So you have Chita, Shemen, Seoira, and Tomorrow, and so on. Which one to, to do first? 
You see, you're not obligated to eat the whole. No, you don't have to eat all of it, no. No. <coughs> okay. Now, today's class will actually be about Tuba Shvat. This is what the class will be. What is Tuba Shvat? Oh, well, today we have the fruits, right? Yeah. That's because today is Tuba Shvat. Two is two letters, Tess and Vav. Now, the numerical value of Tess is nine. Numerical value of Vav is six, giving us together 15. So today is the 15th day of Shvat, the month of Shvat. How do you spell Shvat? S H. Okay. Okay. Now, usually when we have the order of the days, we would say we would we would count with tens. We go from one till ten. Ten is Yud. Then we for eleven you would say. Yud Aleph, Yud Aleph, Aleph is 1, Yud is 10, you have Yud Aleph is 11, Yud base is 12, what's 13? Yud Gimel is 13, Gimel, what's 14? Yud Dalet, that's 14. When it comes to 15, we don't say Yud plus a hey. Instead we do 1 less than Yud, which is Tes, 9, and then 1 more than hey, which is Vav. Tess and Vav, 9 and 6, giving you 15. Why don't you go straight 10 and 5? Because it's Hashem's name, it's God's name. Yud and He is God's name, so we don't say it together. So instead we say Tess Vav. That's how you get to Bishvat, the 15th day of Shvat. Now what is the significance of to Bishvat? That's what you want to know. Okay, so first we'll discuss the story or the significance of to Bishvat. What do you suggest? Huh? Well, huh? Okay, let's start with the story first. Then we'll get to Tuba The story on Tuba No. Okay. Well, actually, we might as well connect it to Tuba because one of the fruits is wine. Is, is great. So this will be something about wine. During Simchas Torah, or at other joyous occasions, such as a marriage, the Rebbe the Tzemach Tzedek would drink a lot of uh, a lot of mashka, a lot of vodka. And I once told you that in, in Russia, when they speak about vodka, they don't mean our vodka, which I think is 48 proof, something like that. Over there, it's twice as strong as our vodka. So Tzedek would drink a lot. And as much as he would drink, he would never lose his mind. On the contrary, the more he drank, the more he would speak deeper concepts of Chassidus. One time, during the life of his father-in-law, who was the father-in-law of the Tzemach Tzedek? Father-in-law of the Tzemach Tzedek. That was the grandfather of the Tzemach Tzedek. Who was the father-in-law of the Tzemach Tzedek? The Magid was before. The Mitla Rebbe. 
The Mitla Rebbe's daughter, her name was, what was her name? Chayamushka. Chayamushka, but Samach Tzedek married her, Chayamushka, the daughter of Mitla Rebbe. That's right, but I don't say names. That's right. So the Rebbe's wife was named after her? I think so. I think it was Chayamushka. And the Rebbe was named for Tzemach Tzedek. His first cousin, his wife. Yeah. Who? The Tzemach The Tzemach was the first cousin, yeah. was his uncle. That's right, that's right, mm-hmm. that's right. So the grandfather of the Tzemach was the Alter Rebbe, and, but his father was someone called Sholem Shachna. That was his father. His mother was Dvarulea, and his father was Sholem Shachna. And he married the daughter of the Mitla Rebbe. The Mitla Rebbe was the son of the Alter Rebbe. The, the brother of the Tzemach Okay, so now, after the, the Mitla Rebbe was the second Lubavitcher Rebbe, and the Tzemach was the third. So this is taking place during the lifetime of the Mitla Rebbe. And the Tzemach Uh, the Chassidim were having a Fabrengen on Sukkot by the Mittler Rebbe. They were having a Fabrengen with the Mittler Rebbe. They were very joyous. They drank a lot. And the Mittler Rebbe also drank. And he said a lot of Chassidim as was his custom to say a lot of Chassidim. When it got close to daybreak, So the Mittler Rebbe sent a messenger to the Tzemach Tzedek to write down the Chassidus that the Mittler Rebbe said. Mittler Rebbe said for hours and hours. So the Mittler Rebbe sent a messenger to the Tzemach Tzedek that he should right away write down everything the Mittler Rebbe said. They didn't have a tape recorder those days. So the messenger went to the Tzemach Tzedek's room and it was locked. Back to the Mittler Rebbe and he said, uh, I can't get in. And the Mittler Rebbe said again, go back to his room and you must get into his room. So the, the messenger, who was the Gabbai, went and with great difficulties he got into the room. And he found that Tzemach Tzedek was on the floor and his hands and legs were spread out. And the Tzemach Tzedek did not feel, did not realize that the messenger came in. And when the messenger saw this, he was petrified because he, he, he thought of the worst. He imagined the worst. But nevertheless, he had a shlichus from the Mittler Rebbe. He had a, he had a, he had a mission to do. So he went to Tzemach Tzedek's ears and he said silently, the Rebbe said you should write down the Chassidus. As soon as he said that, Tzemach Tzedek immediately stood up and he went to his desk and he started writing all the Chassidus which his father-in-law had said that day. And he gave it to the secretary.
Okay. What does this teach us? We have a statement by the sages which goes, Nichnas Yayin Yetzisoid. When Yayin goes in, what comes out? Secret comes out. So by some people, it's better we shouldn't know their secrets. But by the Tzemach Tzedek, by Tzadikim, it's better we know their secrets. Because their secrets are the secrets of the Torah, the secrets of the soul. And Tzadikim, when they drink, they drink intoxicating liquids, this arouses deeper devotion to Hashem. We saw, we saw this by the Rebbe also. I think I mentioned this. There were times when by Fabrengen, this was in the first years, where the Rebbe would drink a lot. And there was one Purim when the Rebbe drank a lot when he was home. And he came to the Fabrengen, he drank a lot. And just by the Fabrengen, he took more and more and more. And he kept on saying more and more Torah. And he was going deeper and deeper and deeper. It's, a, it's on tape. We have a tape of it. And you see the way the Rebbe is speaking slower, but he's going deeper and deeper. And at one point, this we don't see on the tape, but at one point, the Rebbe said over a story from the Tzemach Tzedek, that the Tzemach Tzedek was once drinking a lot of mashka, and then he put his hand on his forehead, and the entire effect of the mashka disappeared. And as the Rebbe was saying the story, he showed, this is what the Tzemach Tzedek did. And the Rebbe's face changed colors, and he started saying a very deep pulpul in nigla, a very deep analytical uh, discussion of deep concepts of Talmud, which you usually can't do when you drink a lot. Okay. Now about the Tzemach Tzedek, uh, there was a Jew that had a an inn which was owned by the poets. What's a poet? Landowner. Landowner. Now the Jew would pay the monthly rent on time and nevertheless the poets, the landowner, was pressuring the Jew to leave the inn. Now this, this Jew had a friend by the name of Moshe. And Moshe was quite friendly with the poets with the landowner. And there were many times when when this Jew who had the inn came to his friend Moshe and he asked Moshe, please speak to the landowner who is not Jewish and ask him, why are you giving me such a tough time? And why do you want to chase me out of the inn? Doesn't this, this Jew pay regular monthly wages on time? So the Jew wanted to ask Moshe, but he never got around doing it. No, I'm sorry, he did do that, I think. I think he went to Moshe, but nothing helped. So this Jew decided to go to the Tzemach Tzedek and ask the Tzemach Tzedek to write a letter to Moshe that Moshe should speak to the prophets. Because when this Jew would speak to Moshe, Moshe wouldn't agree to speak to the landowner. So if we would have a letter from Tzemach Tzedek, this would be forceful. So this Jew went to the Tzemach Tzedek, and he told the Tzemach Tzedek the story. And he also said there's a friend by the name of Moshe, who's friendly with the landowner, 
So Tzemach Tzedek took a paper and he wrote several lines to Moshe and on the envelope he put the address of Moshe. When the man left the room of the Tzemach Tzedek, he saw that on the envelope it says Moshe, but there was one problem. The address was the wrong address. Tzemach Tzedek had written Moshe with an address which was someone else, a different Moshe, which lived very far from here. And that other Moshe, which the Tzemach Tzedek had addressed it to, didn't even know the, the landowner. So this is what he realized when he left the room of the Tzemach Tzedek. What would you do if you had been in his, in his shoes? Go to the right Well, what he decided to do was go back to the Tzemach Tzedek and ask for the correction. He wasn't a chassid, that's what he decided to do. He wanted to say you made a mistake. But it was, it was impossible to go back to the Tzemach Tzedek because the rule is once you went once to the Rebbe, you don't go again in the same time. You have to wait for next year. So you can't go back in. So he went to the son of the Tzemach Tzedek and he told the son the entire story that the Rebbe made a mistake in the envelope. So the son of the Tzemach Tzedek said, Father doesn't make a mistake. You just go to where it's written. So he went, he traveled to that Moshe, the wrong Moshe. And when he reached that Moshe, he says, Moshe tells him, after he saw the letter, you know very well that I don't know this landowner. But nevertheless, since you're here for so long, it's late at night, sleep here, and tomorrow go back home, but I can't help you. While this is taking place, outside there's a snowstorm, which was covering the ground, the Oretz, what does Oretz mean? The ground. And after some time, there was a knock heard on the door, not a knock, they heard of wagons, and after several moments, there was, there was a knock. And uh, there was a landowner knocking. And the owner of the house, Moshe, understood that something interesting is going to happen over here. And this was the same landowner that was the problem. So he put the Jew who had the inn, he put him in one room so the, the landowner shouldn't see him. And Moshe, the wrong Moshe, asked the landowner, what are you doing here? So the landowner says, the poet says, the landowner says that he's traveling somewhere and then there's a heavy snowstorm and I got lost. Some light, I came here and I wanted to go in. So Moshe gave him food and drink and he sat him next to the steam, to the, to the heater. Then the landowner asked the Balabayas, what do you want I should pay you back for everything you did to me? Because I don't need... Uh, oh, so he answered, you know what he answered? He says, I don't need anything. I just need one thing. I have a Jew who came to me who has your inn and he pays you on time and he tells me that every time you always try to chase them out of the inn. So this 
Paulus, this landowner, answers, I am not chasing him out, but I have a friend whose name is Moshe, and he's always asking me to chase out this Jew so he could be in the end. That was the right Moshe. But since, since this is the story, since you, this is what you want, you can notify this Jew, I'm not going to chase him out of, of, that, of the inn anymore. So he says, he happens to be in here. And the Jew went out of the room, and the post landowner took a paper and wrote a contract for three years. And then the poets left. So then the Jew understood that the Moshe, who he thought was a friend, was actually the one that was causing the problems. And the Tzimachalik doesn't make any mistakes. You call the land Oritz? Pogitz. No, 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 not the landlord. The land. This is why. Oritz, right. Oritz. Why Oritz, not Eretz? Or Eretz. Oh, Either okay. way. Yeah, Eretz or Oritz. That's why I got confused. Okay. No, I just want to say something. Like, that's a story of Hashkafa It is used commonly. And the concept is like this, that, um, let's say, for example, miracles. We celebrate miracles. Purim is the miracle. We celebrate Purim. The Exodus, leaving Egypt, we celebrate the miracles. Now, one might argue, what's the big deal of miracles? For God, miracles and nature is the same thing. And in fact, nature is also a miracle. So why make a big fuss out of miracles? And the law says that when a miracle happened personally to me, I have to say a special blessing, thanking God for the miracle. But why? Everything is the hand of God. God does everything. The answer is, of course God does everything, but sometimes it's concealed, sometimes it's revealed. When God's actions are revealed and we appreciate it, we have to thank Hashem for giving us this opportunity. Now, the fact is we are physical creatures. We're in a physical body. And we get excited by physical things, but spirituality doesn't hardly excite us. Once in a while we see open Ashgoch HaPotis and excites us. So then the Yitzhahalah could come and say, what are you getting so excited for? Everything is Ashgoch HaPotis. There's the Yitzhahalah saying, what's the excitement? What do you mean, what's the excitement? You're supposed to get excited. You're supposed to get excited by holiness. Ashgoch HaPotis is supposed to excite you. And if you're just going to, you know, put ice over it and say, oh, what's the big deal? That's just from the Yitzhah. So whenever we see Ashgach HaPotis, we should be excited about it. Now, wishfully, Halavai, we should always see Ashgach HaPotis. That would be better if we always see Ashgach HaPotis. That means they're on a higher level, man. That means they'll never sin, because they see the hand of Hashem. But we usually don't see Ashgach HaPotis, that's the fact. You know, we usually see the problems and we see life. We don't see as God hardly. But once in a while we see it, we should cherish it. Not to say, oh, forget about it, there's a difference. 
especially in this story where it was just it was an open miracle, it was open ruch hakodesh to mitzedek. It wasn't uh, it wasn't just a regular shkoch of That's why you tell us these stories to appreciate the shkoch of Yes, the appreciate shkoch of and uh, to see the holiness of tzaddikim. It's very important to recognize the holiness of tzaddikim. And it's important for us to recognize that there's something above nature. You know, when, when we learn about something, we're learning it without, we're using our minds to understand something, a concept. When you hear a story of actual life, it's uplifting. There's a letter from the, from the Rebbe, which he wrote in the 30s. How old was the Rebbe in the 30s? Anyone know? When was the Rebbe born? He was in his 30s. He was, he was, huh? 1902, he was in the 30s. So he wrote a letter to his father-in-law. Who's his father-in-law? Friedrich Rebbe. It's a very interesting letter. In the letter he speaks about stories of tzaddikim. And he says that it's common amongst chassidim, amongst Lubavitch chassidim was common, not to discuss stories of miracles of the Rebbeim. You know, once in a while they mention it, but it was like under the table, and it was, was usually not discussed. Why? Why wasn't it discussed? Because when you just talk about a story, a miracle of the Rebbe, you're detracting from the greatness of the Rebbe. The greatness of a tzaddik is not the miracles. He, he's way above miracles. Miracles is like, is like a game, it's like a toy. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not really the greatness of a tzaddik. Tzaddik is much greater than that. It's as if you would say, let's praise God, you know how great God is? He could even perform miracles. That's not really praising God. God is way above miracles. Tzaddik is way above miracles. So Chassidim would usually downplay the discussion of miracles because that's not what it's all about. Chassidim would prefer to get excited over learning more Chassidus, learning about the greatness of God, not miracles. Now the Rebbe writes a letter to his father-in-law, a very unusual letter, where the Rebbe says that his opinion is that stories of miracles are crucial nowadays. This is in the 30s where Rebbe described now we have descent of generations, people are more into Gashmis, more into physicality. We need the uplifting experience of stories of tzaddikim, of miracles. And Rebbe very much pushes it. And all the years that Rebbe was Rebbe, he encouraged people to write stories of, of tzaddikim, now they're printing some of them into English. So stories are very important for children and for adults. Okay. Now we're going to discuss Tu Bishvat. Now what is Tu Bishvat? Tu Bishvat is described in a Mishnah as Rosh Hashanah of trees. Rosh Hashanah of trees. The mission actually discusses four Rosh Hashanahs. One of them is the first day of Tishrei. This is the famous, the common Rosh Hashanah that we're all aware of. Then we have Rosh Hashanah for trees, which is today, 15th day of Shvat. There's another Rosh Hashanah, the first day of Nisan, which is the month of Passover. That's Rosh Hashanah for kings, and for the festivals. That's the first day of Nisan. And today is the Rosh Hashanah of trees, which legally means that we have a law of Maisel. 
Meister is giving 10%, 10% towards, towards Levim, the Levites, and 10% of the produce we have to take to Jerusalem. These are the laws which apply when we have a temple and you're a farmer. You give 10% of the produce once and 10% again. Now the question is, when you give 10%, from which fruit do you give? There has to be a dividing line. You can't just put all the fruits. Each produce has to have their own 10%. You can't mix the two. So you could wait within one season, within one year. But you can't mix one year to the other year. So the dividing line for trees is the 15th day of Shvat, Tu B'Shvat. This is the day that we say anything before Tu B'Shvat is last year. And now it's the Rosh Hashanah, it's the new year for trees. Okay. Now because Tu B'Shvat is Rosh Hashanah for trees, so what we don't do is in our prayers, there's a part called Tachanun, which means supplication, where we discuss our sins and we ask God to forgive our sins, we don't say Tachanun on Rosh Hashanah for trees. We don't say Tachanun on Tu B'Shvat. And likewise, we don't say Tachanun on Rosh We don't say it on Chanukah. We don't say it on Purim. Any joyous occasion, we don't say Tachanun. That's what we don't do. What do we do? We take from the fruits of Israel or new fruits. These, these are the customs of Tu B'Shvat. But in Chassidus, Chassidus opens up the doors to appreciate the inner dimension of Tu B'Shvat. What is it really all about? What's behind Tu B'Shvat? This is what Chassidus explains. This is what we're going to talk about now. The inner dimension of Tu B'Shvat. Okay. Now, Tu B'Shvat is dealing with fruits. Fruits and growth and produce are discussed in the Torah. As a matter of fact, the three festivals, the Sholish Regolim, the three festivals are associated with the agricultural season when it takes place. If, for example, Pesach is the time of harvest of wheat. Shavuos is the harvest of barley. Sukkos is called Chag Ha'osif. That's the festival where we gather all the produce. We take it home. We gather it together. So the commentary is saying that the festivals have an association with the agricultural development of the produce. Now the question is, why is there a connection? Some people make a mistake and some people say, well, you know what the festivals are about? It's just celebrating uh, the, the farm. It's just celebrating the agricultural development. But this is not correct. This is not correct to say that this is what the festival is really all about. What the festival is really all about is relationship between us and God, between God and us. The festival is a time of godly revelation. It's a time of revelation of the soul. So the festival is essentially relating to the soul, to the holiness of God. And yet the Torah does declare association between the festival and 
the agricultural development. Why does the Torah do this? Why is there such a connection? Now the Torah tells us that, uh, let's see, what's the first word of the Torah? First word of the Torah. Precious. That's right. Precious is the first word of the Torah. What does the word precious mean? First word of the Torah, precious, what does it mean? In the beginning, that's right. Precious in the beginning. Now Rashi, Rashi who lived about how many years ago? Around 800 years ago, approximately. His name was Rab Shloimo Yitzchoki. Rashi, that's a famous commentary which you have in the bottom of the Chumash, Rashi. Rashi says that whenever the Torah says in the beginning or at first, it uses the word Borishoina. Rishoina, first. Breishis is uncommon. The Torah doesn't use the word Breishis to tell us what happened first. So Rashi takes apart the word Breishis and he says, Breishis stands for Beis Reishis. Beis What's the numerical value of Beis? Two. There are two Reishis. Two things which are called beginnings. That's right. There are two beginnings, and the purpose of creation of the entire world is for these two beginnings. What are the first two beginnings? So one beginning is Torah, and the other one are the Jewish people. Because there's a verse that says, Kodesh Yisrael Hashem, the Jews are holy to God, Reishis Tvuah, so they are the first produce of God, the first produce. So when there's a discussion of the Jewish people, how does the Torah describe them? Produce and the first produce. The other Reishis, by the way, is Torah, because Torah is also called Reishis Darkoi. But we're going to focus now on the reishis of the Jewish people. So the Jews are compared to tvuah, reishis tvuasa. What is the relationship between a Jew and tvuah and produce? Now the relationship is that when you're a farmer, when you work in the field, and you want wheat or you want fruit, you put a seed in the ground, and from the seed you'll get the wheat, from the seed you'll get the fruit. But what happens, what happens when you put one seed in the ground, how much produce will you have? Will you have one seed? If you put one curve, when you put one wheat in the ground, how much growth do you expect? Plants. Huh? A plant with many branches. Many branches. You expect more than you put in. Right? No, one, no one will put in one weed to get one weed. No one's going to do that. Okay. Okay, well, what, what will a farmer usually do? What is he going to do? He's going to put wheat in order to get what? To, have, to multiply a lot, right? To have a lot. When you put a seed in the ground of an apple, you want to have an apple tree with a lot of fruits. You don't expect just one or one. You put one, you expect many more back. That's the concept of produce. You put a seed and you expect many more. Now, when it comes to to the Jews, to neshama, what does neshama mean? 
soul, the neshama. There's a verse that says that Hashem has sowed the neshamas. Hashem has put the neshama as a seed into the ground. Which means Hashem placed our neshamas from its source. What is the source of the neshama? Very lofty, holy source where it's devoted and connected to God. What did Hashem do with this neshama? It took it away. It, 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 it took it, he broke it away from the source and put it where? All the way down to this world. This world is the lowest world. There are many worlds out there. But what's unique of our world? The lowest world. This is the only world where you have Gashmias. Gashmias mean? physicality. All the other worlds are all ruchnias. They're all spiritual. You have many levels in spirituality. You have Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden. You have the upper one, the lower one. You have infinite levels of holiness. But the lowest world is our world. We're the only world which is Gashmias. It's physical. And the neshama, the soul, goes into a goof, into a body, a physical body. Now, do you think the neshama enjoys this experience of going into a physical body? You think the Shama enjoys it? Is having a good time? Huh? The answer is, the answer is, there's a very interesting answer. And it's stated in the Mishnah in Pirkei Avos. The Mishnah, in the saying of our fathers, the Mishnah says, against your will, you live, against your will, you die. Very interesting statement. Now, what is the statement telling us? Initially, the soul doesn't want to be born. That's right. That's why the baby cries when it's born. Not interested. But eventually, once we're alive, the soul doesn't want to leave the body either. Okay? Against your will, you live. Against your will, you die. Because it works both ways. Okay. Now, initially, the soul doesn't want to come to a body. Why? because it's confining. We could compare it to a prison. The soul inside our body is imprisoned into a physical body with physical restraints, physical limitations. It's a shocking experience for the soul. Now this experience is compared to sowing, to, to sowing a, a seed, huh? Sowing a seed in the ground. Okay. What's the similarity? Just as you sow a seed in the ground, you have produce in a greater proportion than what you put in the ground. That's the analogy. How does that apply to the reality? Hashem puts the neshama into the ground, into this world. He puts the seed, he puts the soul into the ground. And what does Hashem expect? What are the results? Growth. Tremendous growth. This is the achievement of life. Tremendous growth. Why is physicality, when the Mashiach comes, why would we want to come back to physicality if the soul finds the body so confining? That's a very good question. Very good question. Let's leave questions for later. It's a very good question. Now, the only way the seed produces the fruit and the growth is if the seed goes through a process of deterioration. 
the seed has to rot and deteriorate inside the ground, then the power of growth of the ground can produce a tree, can produce wheat, and so on. But you need the deterioration of the seed first, which in Hasidic terminology would be called, be called bitl. Bitl, what does bitl mean? That's right, self-nullification, subordination to Hashem, that's bitl. The seed has to deteriorate first. If a person is into himself, if a person is haughty, if a person is a Balgavi into yourself, that means the seed is whole. If the seed is whole, then it's the, there's no that's right, there's no growth. If you want growth, you need deterioration of the seed. You need bitl. Bitl of the seed. You have to disintegrate. There has to be disintegration. Where the person doesn't say, I am the God, I am in charge, and I know everything, I'm the smartest, I'm the greatest. person needs humility. person needs disintegration where, no, after all, I'm not that great. No, not, not, not what I imagined myself to be. I could have been so much. I could accomplish so much. And I'm only accomplishing right now very little. So a person has to go through some degree of, of bitter of bitter nullification. When you have this nullification, then you can have growth. Then you can have a lot of holiness. But if you don't have this nullification, you can't have growth, you can't have holiness. And this is the message, and this is the reason the Torah compares a person to tvua, to growth, or to a tree. Because the rule is, if you want growth, spiritual growth, then you need creation. But then what is accomplished? after you have the vehicle. What's the achievement? You have tremendous holiness. A lot of holiness. Um, I had a friend that we spoke on the telephone a couple weeks ago. His friend had, he was a manager of a factory in Brooklyn, a garment factory. And he's been working on this probably I would say like 20 years he's been a manager. Very successful manager, very successful. And he made good money on it. Where he worked hard, but he made good money. Something like a year ago, he, uh, the, the owner, he, he closed shop. So my friend was jobless. He decided that he's going to, be, he's going to reopen the shop. Okay, so he opened the shop. I spoke to him like a month ago after not speaking to him for a long time. And this is the first time I remember he, he was very broken. It's not working out. Full of, he has to pay 30 workers every month or whatever. And he's, he's going through a very difficult, a very difficult period now. He comes home very late and apparently he comes home nervous. A very difficult period. So I told him, I was trying to encourage him. One of the things I told him is, to learn a certain maimo. He once learned he once learned to Fels Bachulum years ago. He was learning
So first we take the date and then the apple. Why? Because the date is one of the fruits that the land of Israel is dignified with, it's praised with. What happens if I like an apple more than a date? What happens then? You still take the date. So then it's up to me. I could choose whichever one I want. If I like an apple first, I can make a blessing either one. If I like the apostle and more, I can make that first if I choose to. Okay. Now, if I have an apple and orange, and I want to eat both, what do I do then? Which do I make the blessing on? No. The one I like better. The apple and orange, neither is from Israel. That's right. Neither from Israel. That's right. No, the orange is not. No. Even though you have a lot of Jap uh, oranges. But it's not... It's not native to yeah, but it's Yeah, but it's not... It's not what Israel is praised with. Okay, then there are some more details. Let's say the one you love, the one you appreciate is, is cut. It's not complete. And you have another fruit which you don't like so much, but it's complete. So what do you do then? So you have to make a blessing on the complete fruit, on the complete one. Really? On the complete one. But if the one that's not incomplete is from the seven species, then you make the one of the seven species, even though the apple is complete. If I have a half a date versus... That's right. That's right. So if you want to eat all of them, then you would have, have to go through all the calculations. If you have something which grows from a tree versus something grown from the ground, what do you do then? First boy of Priha 8 or first boy of Priha Adamo? First boy of Priha 8. First you say the blessing on the tree, on the fruits of the tree, and then on the potatoes, things which grow from the ground. Do you mean a root vegetable as opposed to a fruit? That's right. Okay. So now what happens if I have the seven species and I, I like all of them equally? Because in the seven species, if I like one more than the other, I would take the one I like. But if I like all of them equally, which one do I take first? What's the order? So we follow the order of the Pusik. And the order of the Pusik is, it says wheat, barley, grape, fig, pomegranate, olive, and dates. Okay, wheat, barley, grape, fig, pomegranate, what's next? Olive, and dates. Olives are a fruit. Yeah, they come from a tree. Olive tree. You don't think of it.
One second, one second. I made a mistake in this. Uh, there's a mistake in the order. And we have to redo this. There's a mistake in the order. What I was reading to you was the order of the fruits as they're mentioned in the Torah. However, when the Torah discusses the order, the Torah inserts the word Eretz. Eretz means the ground. You have Eretz and Shomayim. Eretz is the ground. So when the Torah discusses the order, the Torah says Eretz, and it says wheat, barley, uh, grape, fig, pomegranate. Then the Torah says a second time, Eretz, of olive and dates. Okay, now this teaches us that the fruits closer to the word Eretz goes before, even the second time it said Eretz. So for practical purposes, the order would be first wheat, then olive, then barley, dates, then then grape, fig, and pomegranates. This would be the actual order. Okay, again, the actual order is wheat, olive, barley, date, grape, fig, and pomegranate. That's right. Why do they separate the, the wheat and the barley? Wouldn't they both be from the ground? <laughs> right, but they're both from the ground, right. But the tail of inserts the word Eretz a second time, telling you that anything closer to the Eretz, to the word Eretz, which is grand, go, uh, has precedence. So the first Eretz, it says Chita, the second Eretz is Zeshemen. So you have Chita, Shemen, Seoira, and Tomorrow, and so on. In the two sentences, and one has the word Eretz, which means the land, and then it says again, Eretz, a land, and there's two of the so there is a, the rabbi said that there is a specialness from the word is close error. So then it has to go up first. So the, the first time they get the first error, the word is the second time. And then since this word, um, olives was close to the word error, so the second time, but it also gets pressed. And that goes second. And the next word, the next word. I know, it does seem weird, doesn't it? We, olive, barley, date, grape, pomegranate. That's the one. Uh, with the second order, wheat, olive, for the date. So you go in. It's like a. Because the word Eretz land has got a holiness. The word was connected. So it leads off with the. Uh, so it the starts off with wheat. Wheat was the first. The first mention was the word land, right? Wheat. Wheat. It says Eretz wheat. And the second time it says Eretz. And it says olive. Wheat, olive, barley, dates. That's why I said it goes. Okay, now if this order is only if I like all of them is equally. But if I prefer one over the other, then it's up to me which one to, to do first. 
So you're not obligated to eat the whole. No, you don't have to eat all of it, no. No. <coughs> okay. Now today's class will actually be about Tubishvat. This is what the class will be. What is Tubishvat? Oh, well, today we have the fruits, right? Yeah. That's because today is Tubishvat. Two is two letters, Tess and Vav. Now the numerical value of Tess is nine. The numerical value of Vav is six. Giving us together 15. So today is the 15th day of Shvat, the month of Shvat. How do you spell Shvat? S H. Okay. Okay. Now, usually when we have the order of the days, we would say we would we would count with tens. You go from one till ten. Ten is Yud. Then we for eleven you would say. Yud Aleph, Yud Aleph, Aleph is 1, Yud is 10, you have Yud Aleph is 11, Yud Beis is 12, what's 13? Yud Gimel is 13, Gimel, what's 14? Yud Dalet, that's 14. When it comes to 15, we don't say Yud plus a hey. Instead we do one less than Yud, which is Tes, 9. And then one more than hey, which is vav. Tes and vav, nine and six, giving you fifteen. Why don't you go straight ten and five? Because Hashem's name is God's name. Yud and hey is God's name, so we don't say it together. So instead we say tes vav. That's how you get two b'shvat, the fifteenth day of shvat. Now, what is the significance of two b'shvat? That's what you want to know. Okay, so first we'll discuss the story or the significance of Tu B'Shvat. What do you suggest? Huh? We'll, huh? Okay, let's start with the story first. Then we'll get to Tu B'Shvat. The story of Tu B'Shvat? No. Okay, well actually, we might as well connect it to Tu B'Shvat because one of the fruits is wine. Is, is great. So this will be something about wine. During Simchas Torah, or at other joyous occasions, such as a marriage, the Rebbe the Tzemach Tzedek would drink a lot of uh, a lot of mashka, a lot of vodka. And I once told you that in, in Russia, when they speak about vodka, they don't mean our vodka, which I think is 48 proof, something like that. Over there, it's twice as strong as our vodka. So Tzedek would drink a lot. And as much as he would drink, he would never lose his mind. On the contrary, the more he drank, the more he would speak deeper concepts of chassidus. One time, during the life of his father-in-law, who is the father of the Tzemach Tzedek? Father-in-law of the Tzemach Tzedek. That was the grandfather of the Tzemach Tzedek. Who was the father-in-law of the Tzemach Tzedek? The Magid was before. The Mitla Rebbe. The Mitla Rebbe. 
The Mitla Rebbe's daughter, her name was, what was her name? Chayamushka. Chayamushka, the Tzemach Tzedek married her, Chayamushka, the daughter of Mitla Rebbe. That's right. That's right. The same names. That's right. So the Rebbe's wife was named after her, or I, I think so. Chayim I think it was Chayim And the was named for the Tzemach Tzedek. It's his first cousin, his wife. Yeah. Who? The Tzemach The Tzemach it was the first cousin. Yeah. Was his uncle. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. So the grandfather of the Tzemach was Yalta Rebbe, and. But his father was someone called Sholem Shachna. That was his father. His mother was Dvarulaya, and his father was Sholem Shachna. And he married the daughter of the Mitla Rebbe. The Mitla Rebbe was the son of the Alter Rebbe. The, the brother of the Tzemachtarek Mahal. Okay. So now, after the, the Mittel Rebbe was the second Lubavitcher Rebbe, and the Tzemach Tzedek was the third. So this is taking place during the lifetime of the Mittel Rebbe, and the Tzemach Tzedek, and the Chesidim were having a Fabrengen on Sukkot by the Mittel Rebbe. They were having a Fabrengen with the Mittel Rebbe. And the Chesidim were very joyous. They drank a lot. And the Mittel Rebbe also drank. And he said a lot of chassidus, as was his custom to say a lot of chassidus. When it got close to daybreak, so the Mittel Rebbe sent a messenger to the Tzemach Tzedek to write down the chassidus that the Mittler Rebbe said. The Mittler Rebbe said for hours and hours. So the Mittler Rebbe sent a messenger to the Tzemach Tzedek that he should right away write down everything the Mittler Rebbe said. They didn't have a tape recorder those days. So the messenger went to the Tzemach Tzedek's room and it was locked. And he came back to the Mittler Rebbe and he said, uh, I can't get in. And the Mittel Rebbe said again, go back to his room and you must get into his room. So the, the messenger, who was the Gabi, went and with great difficulties he got into the room. And he found that Tzemach Tzedek was on the floor and his hands and legs were spread out. And the Tzemach Tzedek did not feel, did not realize that the messenger came in. The messenger saw this, he was petrified because he, he, he thought of the worst. He imagined the worst. But nevertheless, he had a shlichus from the Mittler Rebbe. He had, a, he, had a, he had a mission to do. So he went to Tzemach Tzedek's ears and he said silently, the Rebbe said you should write down the Chassidus. As soon as he said that, Tzemach Tzedek immediately stood up and he went to his desk and he started writing all the Chassidus which his father-in-law had said that day. And he gave it to the secretary. Okay. 
What does this teach us? We have a statement by the sages which goes, Nichnas Yayin When Yayin goes in, what comes out? Secret comes out. So by some people, it's better we shouldn't know their secrets. But by the Tzemach Tzedek, by Tzadikim, it's better we know their secrets. Because their secrets are the secrets of the Torah, the secrets of the soul. And Tzadikim, when they drink, they drink intoxicating liquids, this arouses deeper devotion to Hashem. We saw, but we saw this by the Rebbe also. I think I mentioned this. There were times when by Fabrengen, this was in the first years, where the Rebbe would drink a lot. And there was one Purim when the Rebbe drank a lot when he was home. And he came to the Fabrengen, he drank a lot. And just by the Fabrengen, he took more and more and more and he kept on saying more and more Torah and he was going deeper and deeper and deeper it's, a, it's on tape we have a tape of it and you see the way the Rebbe is speaking slower but he's going deeper and deeper and at one point this we don't see on the tape at one point the Rebbe said over a story from the Tzemach Tzedek that the Tzemach Tzedek was once drinking a lot of mashka and then he put his hand on his forehead and the entire effect of the mashka disappeared. And as the Rebbe was saying the story, he showed, this is what Tzemach Tzedek did. And the Rebbe's face changed colors, and he started saying a very deep pulpul in nigla, a very deep analytical uh, discussion of deep concepts of Talmud, which you usually can't do when you drink a lot. Okay. Now about the Tzemach Tzedek, uh, there was a Jew that had a an inn which was owned by the poets. What's a poet? A landowner. landowner. Now the Jew would pay the monthly rent on time and nevertheless the poets, the landowner, was pressuring the Jew to leave the inn. Now this, this Jew had a friend by the name of Moshe. And Moshe was quite friendly with the poets, with the landowner. And there were many times when, when this Jew, who had the inn, came to his friend Moshe, and he asked Moshe, please speak to the landowner, who was not Jewish, and ask him, why are you giving me such a tough time? And why do you want to chase me out of the inn? Doesn't this, this Jew pay regular monthly wages on time? So the Jew wanted to ask Moshe, but he never got around doing it. No, I'm sorry, he did do that, I think. I think he went to Moshe, but nothing helped. So this Jew decided to go to the Tzemach Tzedek and ask the Tzemach Tzedek to write a letter to Moshe that Moshe should speak to the poets. Because when this Jew would speak to Moshe, Moshe wouldn't agree to speak to the landowner. So if he would have a letter from Tzemach Tzedek, this would be forceful. So this Jew went to the Tzemach Tzedek and he told the Tzemach Tzedek the story. And he also said there's a friend by the name of Moshe who's friendly with the landowner. So the Tzemach Tzedek took a paper and he wrote several lines to Moshe 
and on the envelope he put the address of Moshe. When the man left the room of the Semach Tzedek, he saw that on the envelope it says Moshe, but there was one problem. The address was the wrong address. So Moshe had written Moshe with an address which was someone else, a different Moshe, which lived very far from here. And that other Moshe, which the Tzemach had addressed it to, didn't even know the, the landowner. So this is what he realized when he left the room of the Tzemach What would you do if you had been in his, in his shoes? Go to the right Well, what he decided to do was go back to the Tzemach and ask for the correction. He wasn't a chas, that's what he decided to do. He wanted to say you made a mistake. But it was, it was impossible to go back to the Tzemach because the rule is once you went once to the Rebbe, you don't go again at the same time. You have to wait for next year. So you can't go back in. So he went to the son of the Tzemach and he told the son the entire story, that the Rebbe made a mistake in the envelope. So the son of the Tzemach said, Father doesn't make a mistake. You just go to where it's written. So he went, he traveled to that Moshe, the wrong Moshe. And when he reached that Moshe, he says, Moshe tells him, after he saw the letter, you know very well that I don't know this landowner. But nevertheless, since you're here for so long, it's late at night, sleep here, and tomorrow go back home, but I can't help you. While this is taking place, outside there's a snowstorm which was covering the ground, the Oretz. What does Oretz mean? The ground. And after some time, there was a knock heard on the door. Not a knock, they heard the movement of wagons. And after several moments, there was, there was a knock. And uh, there was a landowner knocking. And the owner of the house, Moshe, understood that something interesting was going to happen over here. And this was the same landowner that was the problem. So he put the Jew who had the inn, he put him in one room so the, the landowner shouldn't see him. And Moshe, the wrong Moshe, asks the landowner, what are you doing here? So the landowner says, the poet says, the landowner says that he's traveling somewhere and then there's a heavy snowstorm and I got lost. And when I saw some light, I came here and I wanted to go in. So Moshe gave him food and drink and he sat him next to the steam, to the, to the heater. Then the landowner asked the Balabayas, what do you want I should pay you back for everything you did to me? Because I don't need... Uh, oh, so he answered, you know what he answered? He says, I don't need anything. I just need one thing. I have a Jew who came to me who has your inn and he pays you on time and he tells me that every time you always try to chase them out of the inn. So this poet, this landowner answered, I am not chasing him out, but I have a friend whose name is Moshe, 
And he's always asking me to chase out this Jew so he could be in the end. That was the right question. But since since this is the story, since you this is what you want, you can notify this Jew, I'm not going to chase him out of, of that of the inn anymore. So he says he happens to be in here. And the Jew went out of the room, and the post landowner took a paper and wrote a contract for three years. And then the poets left. So then the Jew understood that the Moshe who he thought was a friend was actually the one that was causing the problems. And the Tzimachalik doesn't make any mistakes. You call the land Oritz? Pogitz. No, 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 not the landlord. The land. This is why I call Oritz, right. Oritz. Why Oritz, not Eretz? Or Eretz. Oh, Either okay. Way. Yeah, Eretz or Oritz. That's why I got confused. Okay. Now, I just want to say something. Like, that's a story of Hashkafa Pratis, you'd say, divine providence. I once said to a rabbi, I said, oh, something happened to me, it was Hashkafa Pratis. He said, everything is Hashkafa Pratis. Like, we overuse that word, like, we say things happen by coincidence, like divine coincidence. And we say, oh, it was Hashkafa And he was saying, like, yes, I think it's Hashkafa Pratis. Why point to one story and say that? Well, I, th I think that. Um, I mean, is that word used commonly, like among people, or just among Lubavitch? It's used commonly, but more in Lubavitch. It is used commonly. And the concept is like this that, um, let's say, for example, miracles. We celebrate miracles. Purim is a miracle. We celebrate Purim. The Exodus, leaving Egypt, we celebrate the miracles. Now one might argue, what's the big deal of miracles? For God, miracles and nature is the same thing. And in fact, nature is also a miracle. So why make a big fuss out of miracles? And the law says that when a miracle happened personally to me, I have to say special blessing, thanking God for the miracle. But why? Everything is the hand of God. God does everything. The answer is, of course God does everything, but sometimes it's concealed, sometimes it's revealed. When God's actions are revealed and we appreciate it, we have to thank Hashem for giving us this opportunity. Now, the fact is we are physical creatures. We're in a physical body. And we get excited by physical things. But spirituality doesn't hardly excite us. Once in a while we see open Hashgoch HaPotis and excites us. So then the Yitzhahorah could come and say, what are you getting so excited for? Everything is Hashgoch HaPotis. What's the excitement? What do you want the excitement? You're supposed to get excited. You're supposed to get excited by holiness. The Shgoth is supposed to excite you. And if you're just going to, you know, put ice over it and say, oh, what's the big deal? That's just from the Yitzhah. So whenever we see Shgoth HaPotis, we should be excited about it. Now, wishfully, Halavai, we should always see Shgoth HaPotis. That would be better. We always see Ashgah HaPotis. person always saw Ashgah HaPotis, they wouldn't say, oh, that's Ashgah HaPotis. That means they're on a higher level, man. That means they'll never sin, because they see the hand of Hashem. But we usually don't see Ashgah HaPotis, that's the fact. You know, we usually see the problems, and we see life, we don't see Ashgah HaPotis hardly. But once in a while we see it, we should cherish it. Not say, oh, forget about it, there is a difference. And especially in this story, where it was just not, it was an open miracle. It was open gul hakoyj to It wasn't uh, it wasn't just a regular shkocha That's why you tell us these stories. Cause you're 
Yes, the precious Shkoch of Pratis, and uh, to see the holiness of Tzadikim, it's very important to recognize the holiness of Tzadikim, and it's important for us to recognize that there's something above nature. You know, when, when we learn about something, we're learning it with that, we're using our minds to understand something, a concept. When you hear a story of actual life, it's uplifting. There's a letter from the, from the Rebbe, which he wrote in the 30s, how old was the Rebbe in the 30s? Anyone know? When was the Rebbe born? He was in his 30s. He was, he was, huh? 1902. He was in the 30s. So he wrote a letter to his father-in-law. Who's his father-in-law? It's a very interesting letter. In the letter he speaks about stories of tzaddikim. And he says that it's common amongst chassidim amongst Lubavitch Chassidim was common not to discuss stories of miracles of the Rabbeim. You know, once in a while they mentioned it, but it was like under the table, and it was, was usually not discussed. Why? Why wasn't it discussed? Because when you just talk about a story, a miracle of the Rebbe, you're detracting from the greatness of the Rebbe. The greatness of a tzaddik is not the miracles. He, he's way above miracles. Miracles is like, is like a game, it's like a toy. It's, it's not... It's not it's not really the greatness of a tzaddik. Tzaddik is much greater than that. It's as if you would say, let's praise God. You know how great God is? He could even perform miracles. That's not really praising God. God is way above miracles. A tzaddik is way above miracles. So Chassidim would usually downplay the discussion of miracles because that's not what it's all about. Chassidim would prefer to get excited over learning more chassidus, learning about the greatness of God, not miracles. And the Rebbe writes a letter to his father-in-law, a very unusual letter, where the Rebbe says that his opinion is that stories of miracles are crucial nowadays. This is in the 30s, where the Rebbe describes, now we have descent of generations, people are more into gashmis, they're more into physicality. We need the uplifting experience of stories of tzaddikim, of miracles. And the Rebbe very much pushes it. And all the years that the Rebbe was Rebbe, he encouraged people to write stories of, of tzaddikim. Now they're printing some of them into English. So stories are very important for children and for adults. Okay. Now we're going to discuss Tu Bishvat. Now what is Tu Bishvat? Tu Bishvat is described in a Mishnah as Rosh Hashanah Rosh Hashanah of trees. Rosh Hashanah of trees. The mission actually discusses four Rosh Hashanahs. One of them is the first day of Tishrei. This is the famous, the common Rosh Hashanah that we're all aware of. Then we have Rosh Hashanah for trees, which is today, 15th day of Shvat. There's another Rosh Hashanah, the first day of Nisan, which is the month of Passover. That's Rosh Hashanah for kings and for the festivals. That's the first day of Nisan. And today is the Rosh Hashanah of trees, which legally means that we have a law of Maisel. Maisel is giving 10%, 10% towards, towards um, Levim, the Levites, and 10% 
of the produce we have to take to Jerusalem. These are the laws which apply when we have a temple and you're a farmer. You give 10% of the produce once and 10% again. Now the question is, when you give 10%, from which fruit do you give? There has to be a dividing line. You can't just put all the fruits. Each produce has to have their own 10%. You can't mix the two. So you could wait within one season, within one year. But you can't mix one year to the other year. So the dividing line for trees is the 15th day of Shvat, Tuba Shvat. This is the day that we say Tuba Shvat is last year. And now it's Rosh Hashanah, it's the new year for trees. Okay. Now because Tuba Shvat is Rosh Hashanah for trees, so what we don't do is in our prayers, there's a part called Tachanun, which means supplication, where we discuss our sins and we ask God to forgive our sins. We don't say Tachanun on Rosh Hashanah for trees. We don't say Tachanun on Tuba Shvat. And likewise, we don't say Tachanun on Rosh We don't say it on Chanukah. We don't say it on Purim. Any joyous occasion, we don't say Tachanun. That's what we don't do. What do we do? We take from the fruits of Israel or new fruits. These, these are the customs of Tuba Shvat. But in Chassidus, Chassidus opens up the, the inner dimension of Tuba Shvat. What is it really all about? What's behind Tuba Shvat? This is what Chassidus explains. This is what we're going to talk about now. The inner dimension of Tuba Shvat. Okay. Now, Tuba Shvat is dealing with fruits. Fruits and growth and produce are discussed in the Torah. As a matter of fact, the three festivals, the Sholish Regolim, the three festivals are associated with the agricultural season when it takes place. If, for example, Pesach is the time of harvest of wheat. Shavuos is the harvest of barley. Sukkos is called Chag HaOsif. That's the festival where we gather all the produce. We take it home. We gather it together. So the commentary is saying that the festivals have an association with the agricultural development of the produce. Now the question is, why is there a connection? Some people make a mistake and some people say, well, you know what the festivals are about? It's just celebrating uh, the, the farms, just celebrating the agricultural development. But this is not correct. This is not correct to say that this is what the festival is really all about. What the festival is really all about is relationship between us and God, between God and us. The festival is a time of godly revelation. It's a time of revelation of the soul. So the festival is essentially relating to the soul, to the holiness of God. And yet the Torah does declare association between the festival and the agricultural development. Why does the Torah do this? Why is there such a connection? Now the Torah tells us that, let's see, what's the first word of the Torah? 
first word of the Torah. Precious. That's right. Precious is the first word of the Torah. What does the word precious mean? First word of the Torah, precious. What does it mean? In the beginning. That's right. Precious in the beginning. Now Rashi, Rashi who lived about how many years ago? Around 800 years ago, approximately. His name was Rab Shloimo Yitzchoki. Rashi, that's a famous commentary which you have in the bottom of the Chumash, Rashi. Rashi says that whenever the Torah says in the beginning, or at first, it uses the word Borishoina. Rishoina, first. Breishis is uncommon. The Torah doesn't use the word Breishis to tell us what happened first. So Rashi takes apart the word Breishis and he says, Breishis stands for Beis Reishis. Beis, what's the numerical value of Beis? Two. There are two Reishis. Two things which are called beginnings. That's right. There are two beginnings and the purpose of creation of the entire world is for these two beginnings. What are the first two beginnings? So one beginning is Torah and the other one are the Jewish people. Because there's a verse that says Kodesh Yisrael Hashem the Jews are holy to God Reishis Tvuah so they are the first produce of God the first produce. So when there's a discussion of the Jewish people how does the Torah describe them? Produce and the first produce. The other Reishis by the way is Torah because Torah is also called Reishis Darkoi. But we're going to focus now on the Reishis of the Jewish people. So the Jews are compared to Tvuah, Reishis Tvuah What is the relationship between a Jew and Tvuah and produce? Now the relationship is that when you're a farmer, when you work in the field and you want wheat or you want fruit, you put a seed in the ground and from the seed you'll get the wheat, from the seed you'll get the fruit. But what happens, what happens when you put one seed in the ground, how much produce will you have? Will you have one seed? If you put one cur when you put one wheat in the ground, how much growth do you expect? Plants. Huh? A plant with many branches. Many branches. You expect more than you put in. Right? No, one, no one will put in one wheat to get one wheat. No one's going to do that. Okay. Okay, well, what, what will a farmer usually do? What is he going to do? He's going to put wheat in order to get what? To, have, to multiply a lot, right? To have a lot. When you put a seed in the ground of an apple, you want to have an apple tree with a lot of fruits. You don't expect just one for one. You put one, you expect many more back. That's the concept of produce. You put a seed and you expect many more. Now, when it comes to to the Jews, to neshama, what does neshama mean? Soul, the neshama. There's a verse that says that Hashem has sowed the neshamas. Hashem has put the neshama as a seed into the ground. Which means Hashem placed our neshamas from its source 
What is the source of the neshama? Very lofty, holy source, where it's devoted and connected to God. What did Hashem do with this neshama? It took it away. It, 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 it took it, He broke it away from the source and put it where? All the way down to this world. This world is the lowest world. There are many worlds out there. But what's unique of our world? The lowest world. This is the only world where you have Gashmius. What does Gashmius mean? Physicality. All the other worlds are all Ruchnius. They're all spiritual. You have many levels in spirituality. You have Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden. You have the upper one, the lower one. You have infinite levels of holiness. But the lowest world is our world. We're the only world which is Gashmius. It's physical. And the neshama, the soul, goes into a goof, into a body, a physical body. Now, do you think the neshama enjoys this experience of going into a physical body? you think the neshama enjoys it? Is having a good time? Huh? The answer is, the answer is, there's a very interesting answer. And it's stated in the mission in Pirkei Avos. The mission in the saying of our fathers, the mission says, Against your will, you live. Against your will, you die. Very interesting statement. Now, what is the statement telling us? Initially, the soul doesn't want to be born. That's right. That's why the baby cries when it's born. Not interested. But eventually, once we're alive, the soul doesn't want to leave the body either. Okay? Against your will, you live. Against your will, you die because it works both ways okay now initially the soul doesn't want to come to a body why because it's confining we could compare it to a prison the soul inside our body is imprisoned into a physical body with physical restraints physical limitations it's a shit for the soul now this experience is compared to sowing to, to sowing a a seed huh sowing a seed in the ground okay what's the similarity just as you sow a seed in the ground you have produce in, in a greater proportion than what you put in the ground that's the analogy how does that apply to the reality Hashem puts the neshama into the ground into this world he puts the seed, he put, puts the soul into the ground. And what does Hashem expect? What are the results? Growth. Tremendous growth. This is the achievement of life. Tremendous growth. Why is physicality, when Mashiach comes, why would we want to come back to physicality if the soul finds the body so confining? That's a very good question. Very good question. Let's leave questions for later. It's a very good question. Now, the only way the seed produces the fruit and the growth is if the seed goes through a process of deterioration. The seed has to rot and deteriorate inside the ground. Then the power of growth of the ground can produce a tree, can produce wheat, and so on. But you need the deterioration of the seed first which in Hasidic terminology would be called be called bitl bitl, what does bitl mean? 
That's right, self nullification. Subordination to Hashem, that's brittle. The seed has to deteriorate first. If a person is into himself, if a person is haughty, if a person is a Balgavi into yourself, that means the seed is whole. If the seed is whole, then it's the, there's no that's right, there's no growth. If you want growth, you need deterioration of the seed. You need brittle. Brittle of the seed. You have to disintegrate. There has to be disintegration. Where the person doesn't say, I am the God, I am in charge, and I know everything, I'm the smartest, I'm the greatest. The person needs humility. The person needs disintegration where, no, after all, I'm not that great. No, not, not, not what I imagined myself to be. I could have been so much. I could accomplish so much. And I'm only accomplishing right now very little. So a person has to go through some degree of, of brittle, of brittle nullification. When you have this nullification, then you can have growth. Then you can have a lot of holiness. But if you don't have this nullification, you can't have growth, you can't have holiness. And this is the message and this is the reason the Torah compares a person to tvua, to growth, or to a tree. Because the rule is, if you want growth, spiritual growth, then you need deterioration. But then what is accomplished after you have the brittle? What's the achievement? You have tremendous holiness. A lot of holiness. Um, I had a friend that we spoke on the telephone a couple weeks ago. This friend had... He was a manager of a factory in Brooklyn, a garment factory. And he's been working on this probably, I would say like 20 years he's been a manager. Very successful manager, very successful. And he made good money on it. Where he worked hard, but he made good money. Something like a year ago, he, uh, the, the owner, he, he closed shop. So my friend was jobless. He decided that he's going to be he's going to reopen the shop. Okay, so he reopened the shop. I spoke to him like a month ago after not speaking to him for a long time. And this is the first time I remember he he was very broken. It's not working out. Full of he has to pay thirty workers every month or whatever. And he's he's going through a very difficult a very difficult period now. He comes home very late, and apparently he comes home nervous. A very difficult period. So I told him, I was trying to encourage him, one of the things I told him is to learn a certain maimo. He once learned, he once learned to Tufel's Bachulum years ago. He once learned